the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And you look at the world around you and the chaos and confusion and how bad things seem to be getting. God would say to you, now's not the time to be quiet. It's not the time to be on the sideline. Speak out. Remember why I put you there. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. When they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent for now I will go on to the Gentiles. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius, Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with all his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. What an example, again, of of just the life of the Apostle Paul, living the gospel life. Some people receive it, some people reject it, and some people said, let me just reflect on that for a while. We don't control the outcome. We just obey the command. Are you obeying the command? When we live our life with awareness of the gospel, what we're doing is saying, we understand the stakes. So Paul, when they rejected him, he shook it off, as is his custom to do. But this time he says this, your blood's not on me. Why did he say that? He recognized something I don't think we always live as if we believe. Everybody we know is going to spend forever somewhere. If scripture is true, everybody you see is going to spend forever, either in a place called heaven or in a place called hell. And so we live our lives in such a way to live out the gospel so that their blood not be on us. Which reminds me, you had an assignment last week. If you were here, you'll remember it. You were afraid I wouldn't remember to ask you. But we talked about having gospel conversations. Let me see your hands if you had at least one gospel conversation this week. Look at that. That's awesome. If you couldn't raise your hand, you've got next week. But you just lived seven days of your life, many of you as Christ's followers, without having one gospel conversation, one conversation about what you sit in a room like this and say is the most important thing in your life. Sometimes even when we are obedient, we'll face circumstances that make us want to give up. It's in those moments we have to remember God's not a God of confusion. And we have to seek his face and ask him to speak to us. Look at verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. 
And the Lord said to Paul, let me ask you something. Do you think God still speaks to us? I believe he does. Now, don't confuse this. God's not going to give you a new revelation that adds to or contradicts his word. He's not giving you a new scripture. (laughs) If you see somebody that acts as if God has told them something he's not told anybody else in that kind of way, know this. They're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. That is not somebody that you want to listen to. But God speaks to us. And I think sometime in our efforts to reason out our faith, to intellectualize our faith, we've made our faith cold and distance. And we don't understand that Scripture is full of admonition telling us to call on the name of the Lord. Full of examples of God saying, ask and I'll answer, knock and I'll open, seek and you'll find. Full of examples of of what Jesus' half-brother James said. If you need wisdom, just ask God. You know, give it to you generously. I think of different times God has spoken in my life. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Very clear communication from the Lord. When God was working in our life about whether or not to come to this church, this was not something we were seeking. We had not heard about this church. We were living in Missouri. We had just built a home that we loved on a lot of acres that we loved and Things were good in our life. And yet I remember the Sunday afternoon where after church and after my nap, Kimberly and I began to have a conversation and, and I said, you know, it's been about six weeks since this church began knocking and we've had a few conversations, but I've not even sent them any information about me or told them I'm willing to talk. What, what do you think we should do? And Kimberly said, I, I think probably you should send them some information. I said, yeah, I'm thinking that too. So I, I went right then to the computer and, and I began to type up my biographical information because I didn't have that. I didn't have a resume. I wasn't looking to go anywhere. And I looked over that and got it prepared and then sent it off in an email right then. Instantly, I got a response to that email. And this was a response. Wow. That was a God moment. I'll explain later. Well, that had my curiosity up. So I began to wonder, God, what, what kind of moment was that? It, it was some hours later in a phone conversation, I was told this story. Story was that the search committee of this church was gathered together in a meeting. In that meeting, they were deciding, hey, we've got to narrow down this list and figure out who it is God wants to be our pastor. And I was told that in that meeting, they began to say, we, we feel like we, we have a sense that it's this guy, Paul Purvis, but we don't, we don't have any information on him. We don't even know if, uh, if he wants to talk to us. So one of the members of that committee, a lady, spoke up and said, well, why don't we just stop and pray and just ask God that if this is the way that he wants us to go, that he'll prompt in his spirit to respond to us. And if not, that he'll make it just as clear and that we'll move on. And in that conversation, I was told that they stopped and prayed and that when they said amen, They looked up, and in the email was that message from me. God had worked in that mysterious way. He speaks to us. But God continued to speak in this process. Fast forward about three months, and we began to realize this is where God wants our family to be. And so we made the process go forward. And 
We'd actually visited here, and we'd had a great visit, and, and you as a church were, were so faithful to make sure my family was able to do some fun things on what was their spring break, and we went to Disney World, we went to the beach and Bush Gardens, we saw St. Louis Cardinals play ball, it was a great time, and I, that was part of my human strategy, because if, if God was doing this, man, let me just show my boys what a great place this is, but they didn't know why we were here. And so a few weeks later, when it became clear that God was calling us to move here, we began to tell our children. And I'll never forget when I sat down with my second oldest son, Caleb. His younger brothers were at baseball practice, and they were out on the baseball diamonds practicing, and I was sitting in the stands with Caleb. And I turned to him and I said, Caleb, you you remember when we went on spring break and how fun that was? And he said, yeah, that was great. So yeah, we went to Disney. Yeah, oh yeah. We saw the cards. That was awesome. Pool holes. Yeah, that was fantastic. I said, Caleb, guess what? He said, what? I said, we're moving there. And he screamed, no! I was not expecting that. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. Right at that moment, there was a bolt of lightning from heaven. Thunder began to to rain across the Hammonds. The, the, The downpour came Practice was canceled. The little boys were running off the baseball field. And Caleb and I were just sitting there paralyzed. He was crying. I was crying. He was saying, these people need Jesus too. (laughs) I said, let's go. So we ran to the car. Luke and Noah were looking at us like, what in the world? It's just rain. You don't have to be so upset. (laughs) We get in the car. They're asking what's wrong. I said, be quiet. They're in the back seat. Caleb's sitting in the front seat. I don't know what to say, and and I just turn on the radio. Listen, I just turn on the radio, and it was playing this song. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Where you lead, I'll follow. I will follow you. Caleb looked over at me. I said, hey, I didn't do it. That's just the radio. (laughs) But you know what? God used that moment to be a part of his story where now he shares, God spoke to me. And God can speak to you. And some of you, you've gotten so cold in your faith, you've gotten so distant, maybe because of sinful choices, but, but you're, not, you're not asking God to give you a fresh word. You're not asking him to speak into your life. And I want you to know that God, the God, the creator of all that is, he loves you, he cares about you, and he has a word for you. So what was his word for Paul? Well, First, he said to Paul, you got to be willing to stay. Look at verse 9. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. Notice what it says. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. He was saying, Paul, I know it's not always easy. And you've demonstrated your yeses on the table. You went. But listen to me, Paul. You just need to stay put until I tell you to go. And then he gave him four specific words. The first word is this. Don't fear. Say, don't fear. 
Isn't it interesting how often the scriptures tell us to not be afraid? Someone's pointed out at least 365 times, one for every day of the year. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Some of you are going through difficulty right now, and you need to hear God say to you, don't fear. Your relationship is in crisis. Don't fear. Your finances are a mess. Don't fear. Your health has made the future uncertain. Don't fear. You don't know what you're going to do about a job. Don't fear. Very similar to what God said to Joshua in Joshua 1, 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at missionhillchurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at missionhillchurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. God was saying to Paul, don't fear. And then he says to him, speak out. Say, speak out. Speak out. He says, keep talking. Don't be silent. Now is not the time to shut up. And some of you need to hear that. You've cocooned in your faith. Some of you have been followers of Jesus Christ for a long time, and yet you've gone covert. And you look at the world around you and the chaos and confusion and how bad things seem to be getting. And God would say to you, now's not the time to be quiet. It's not the time to be on the sideline. Speak out. Remember why I've put you there. Make the gospel a priority in your life. Keep talking about Jesus. And then Jesus said to him, I'm here. Say, I'm here. He's saying, I, I am with you. You've heard this, but do you understand that? That our God is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Please understand that that's what makes us different from all those false religion that were taking place in Athens many years ago. We don't serve a dead God. We don't worship an idol. We have a living God who is with us, who promises never to leave us, never to forsake us. No, not ever. He's with us. Maybe you need to hear that word from God today where he's just saying to you, I'm here. I haven't left. I didn't check out. Maybe you walked away, but I haven't moved. I'm here. And then God says, I've got this. (laughs) Say, I've got this. (laughs) He, he, He says to Paul, Hey, buddy, you may not realize it, but I've got a lot of people in this city. It's interesting. Acts 17, God makes it clear to Paul, and Paul even uses this in his message. It's the God of the universe who determines our boundaries. It's God who puts us where we are. In Acts 18, he reminds Paul, I put other people where they are too, buddy. It's not just you. You're not the only one. 
And sometime a reason we quit on our faith and we give up and we don't stay at it is because we don't think there's anybody else like us. Nobody else will understand. Nobody else has gone through what I'm going through. Nobody else has encountered my circumstances. And that is hogwash. You're not alone. Not only is God with you, there are others in the body of Christ that he put here to encourage you in the journey. That's why we need each other. We are better together. Not only is God with us, he reminds us that when we go where he wants us to go and do what he wants us to do and stay where he wants us to stay, he sends human encourages there to help us keep going. Sometimes you have to be ready to go. Sometimes you have to be willing to stay. But often you're going to have to be open to risk. So I want to ask you a question. I want to read a few verses and then we're going to wrap this up. Here's the question. What have you risked for your faith? Look at verse 12. But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. Here we go again, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them, he drove them from the tribunal. Goes on to tell us that they seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue. But then I want you to look down. If, If you go down to verse 20, it says, they asked him to stay a longer period and he declined. But taking leave of them, Paul said, I will return to you if God wills. You know what I see when I look at the journeys of Paul? I see that not only was he ready to go, not only was he willing to stay, he really was open to risk. I mean, it seemed like every other day he's standing before somebody trying to defend himself. But even after that happens, he surrendered his life to do whatever God willed him to do. Do you know that Christ's followers used to greet one another and they would always use that statement in their greetings? They would always say something like this, Greg, I'll see you tomorrow if the Lord wills it. But we've gotten away from that. We've gotten away from living our lives, willing to do whatever it takes, surrendering to his will. Even if it means risking. Even if it costs us something. So so what's your faith costing you? I mean, really, we, <laughs> we have brothers and sisters, other members of the body of Christ who are being martyred because they refuse to deny Jesus today, not hundreds or thousands of years ago. Today, what is your faith costing you? Has it cost you anything financially? Has it cost you anything vocationally? Has it cost you anything educationally? Relationally, personally, 
How can we profess to have the same faith that is described in scriptures if our faith, faith cost us nothing? I feel like this was illustrated this week in the life of a well-known Christian leader. His name's Francis Chan. He was a pastor in California and an author. Maybe you've read some of his books. This week he was preaching a message and he describes a decision that he and his family have made after a recent trip to Myanmar. He says that when they were in Myanmar, they went from village to village, from hut to hut, and they talked about Jesus to people who had never heard his name. And the people were wowed at the message of the gospel and they were receiving Christ and they were baptizing more than he could count. And he says, as we got on the plane home, I was like, honey, I think it's time to move. He explained that he's been fishing in the same pond his whole life and now there's thousands of other fishermen in the same pond. Our lines are getting tangled and everyone's fighting over stupid things. He said, what if I heard of a lake that's like a five mile hike away and no one's fishing in it and they're saying, man, the fish are biting. Just throw a hook in there and they'll go for it. Man, I'll make that five mile hike if I love fishing. As he continued, he noted that there's many things that would keep him from making that journey. He said, I'll tell you what would keep me fishing in the same pond if I built a house on the pond and all my friends have houses on the pond. And we don't even fish that much. We just go out and we hang out and we talk and we play. We don't, we don't want to leave our friends. But if my calling is to go fish and there's no one fishing over there, why wouldn't I go? How about you? Why wouldn't you go? Why hasn't God called you to missions? Why hasn't he called you to ministry? Why would you not risk everything for his glory? So I think of those three statements and it helps me form three questions that I think define whether or not I'm living out the gospel. Am I ready to go? Am I willing to stay? Am I open to risk? Because this I know, one day there's gonna be an accounting. About 20 years ago, I visited the city of Corinth. And I have to tell you, the thing that stood out to me most is we literally stood in front of what is called the Bema seat place where the leader of that city would stand and watch the troops come in in a victorious parade. He would see the spoils of victory or he would watch the agony of defeat. And Paul would speak to the Corinthians about that place that they knew well about and he would remind them that one day we will stand before the Bema seat, the judgment seat, of Christ. And we who have followed Christ, citizens of heaven, will account for how we've lived out the gospel that he's given to us. He'll look back at those snapshots of our lives. You ever look back at an old yearbook? It's kind of crazy. 
you see that some of those who are most likely to do some things didn't do it. You see some photos in time that kind of make you think, now this is crazy. This was in my yearbook. Smoking, dipping, and chewing. Where do Hartsville High School students go to take a smoke, dip, or chew? Well, they go to the smoking section. That didn't age very well. I wonder about the snapshots of our life. Will we look back at these moments and say, we lived out the gospel with all that we had? Or will we say, wow, that didn't go like we expected? You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. And join us next Sunday at noon for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, AM 570 and 910.